You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1152 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And thank you, as always, for joining us on the podcast. We'll be talking about what became a 108-102 to victory for the Hawks in Sacramento. A very nice one on the West Coast. They were undermanned in this game without Trey Young, which we'll come back to in a second. But Atlanta led for a lot of this game, but it was always close. In fact, neither team led by double digits. The largest lead of the night was 9 for Atlanta, so it was always in their control, but not in a dominant fashion, if that makes sense. There was uh, lots of peril. In fact, it was a close game late, but the Hawks managed to hold on. They uh, never trailed in the second half of this game and uh, executed on the stretch in a couple of uh, big spots, which we'll uh, break down in detail in a moment. Um, in terms of the setting for this game, um, other than the Trey Young Relative surprise, you know, anytime Trey's listed as questionable, I always kind of lean toward him, toward him playing because he's always willing and able and eager to play. But obviously he just couldn't go in this spot. But the Kings were on a back-to-back with travel, as we talked about last night on the podcast. So that's an advantage for Atlanta. They were also without Rashawn, Rashawn Holmes, their best center, leaving uh, the combination of Damian Jones and Alex Len as the two centers for the Kings in this game. Uh, very familiar names to Hawks fans. But Trey was actually listed as questionable with low back soreness. And then when he was ruled out, they actually changed soreness to contusion on the injury report, which I'm not sure, you know, always a little bit, uh, the word the wording is always interesting, but, you know, not always revelatory. Not a whole lot of new information on this, but the Hawks have these two games in Los Angeles over the weekend. Hopefully uh, he'll be back in time for those. But, you know, the questionable listing means that at least he warmed up in this game probably as like a chance to play. So he could be close to returning. Cam Reddish did return. He was listed as questionable and played a bunch of minutes in this contest, um, coming into the day, they were uh, had several guys in the protocol still. John Collins, Bogdanovich, Gorgie Jang, Jalen Johnson still in the protocols. Um, Sham Sharania reported earlier today on Wednesday that John Collins had cleared the protocols and would be joining the Hawks in Los Angeles. Then the Hawks officially later in the day updated their injury report to reflect Collins, Bogdanovich, and Jalen Johnson as not with the team other than, uh, and that's sort of in place of the protocols. So they're now out of the protocols officially. Um, Gorgie Jang's still in the protocol as of today, at least as of this uh, recording. Um, people were confused. At least people were, were confused by why they wouldn't be playing in Sacramento. Um, it comes down to this. Uh, number one, you know, you can't just assume guys are ready to play immediately after they haven't been able to do anything with the COVID protocols. Number two, the Hawks are a long way away, uh, and these guys are not traveling with the team. They can't be traveling with the team at, because they were testing positive, most likely. So it's one of those things where they were probably in Atlanta or something close, and you have to fly out there, and the, you know, the, the news kind of happened this afternoon, so that's an impossible turnaround to Sacramento from Atlanta. Um, so all that said... They're all going to be in Los Angeles. We will see what happens from there. They're going to meet with the training staff, according to what I was told and also what Lauren Jabbar reported on the broadcast on Wednesday. So I assume they'll all be ready to play, or at least close to ready to play for Friday. Um, you know, clearly, there's the two guys that are more um, sort of pressing right now in terms of the NBA product are Bogdanovich and Collins. But, you know, Johnson's someone who's obviously of great interest to Hawks fans. And uh, we'll get into all that stuff as we get more information. But... It would be obviously a huge boost to have Collins and Bogdanovich back for Friday and beyond. Um, 
Also, Cam Oliver, who's on a 10-day contract, ended up going into the protocols today. So he might have played his last game for the for the Hawks on the hardship deal. He's been in College Park before, etc. So we'll see what happens there. But he's probably not going to be around um, beyond that 10-day, I would imagine. And then, basically, the Hawks had 12 guys active in this game. And uh, that includes two 10-day contract guys in Shawnee Brown and also Chris Clemens, and then you factor in, they also have both two-way guys with Skylar Mays and Shreve Cooper. So they're still pretty shorthanded in this game without Trey. Um, they actually did not start Kevin Herter, which we'll come back to. That was a uh, surprise to me, that's for sure. And uh, he was awesome in this game. He was their best wing available, which is a little bit, a little bit curious. Which, again, we'll come back to this later on. But the point spread at betonline.ag actually was all over the place, as you might imagine. You know, The Hawks ended up being underdogs at the outset, um, then when it looked like Trey and Cam might play, they went through shoot around. Um, Cam obviously did, did play, but um, they were actually favored by about two, two and a half points in the afternoon on Wednesday. And then when Trey was ruled out, they ended up closing as underdogs. So it was all over the place. It was still kind of narrow, but basically a coin flip game in the market. I think that um, I actually kind of leaned t- toward the Hawks being the better team in this spot, even without Trey. But that also factors in the you know, the back-to-back for Sacramento, the absence of homes, etc. But regardless, this is a nice win for Atlanta, all things considered. So we'll dive into the game now. Um, honestly, if you want to boil it down simply, the Hawks led this game 11-3 to at the outset, and they basically needed that little stretch to uh, overcome the rest of the night. So um, Sacramento started slowly. They only scored on the one of the first six possessions of the game. DeLon Wright was pretty aggressive and played well at the outset, six quick, six quick points on his own. The Kings kind of fought back from there. Um, it was a slow start for Cam Reddish, who was not great offensively in this game. Um, but then they went to Herter and Akongwu coming in together as the first sub. So they, you know, just sort of sort of lay this out here because people might have not have seen the game because it was so late on the East Coast. But they ended up starting DeLon Wright at point guard, which is not a, not, not a surprise. Um, plus Cam Reddish at, at either the two or three, TLC at the two or three, and then Gallinari started. Um, after the game, Joe Prunty revealed that they told Herter he wasn't going to start in the morning on Wednesday and did not want to get into details. He was asked and kind of didn't give really an answer of any specifics, which is not a huge surprise. Coaches, at least in this regime, do not love to give like real, um, you know, analytical or, uh, you know, scheme-based answers a lot of the time. Um, but he did say something about balancing the units. And then Herter actually was actually asked after the game about um, – what, what he was told, and he kind of mentioned that Prunty told him that they were looking to give more balance to the second unit on offense, which makes some sense. I will say um, it felt weirder to me to not start Herter because Trey wasn't playing. Um, it would already have been a little bit weird because, honestly, if you look at the roster, Kevin Herter was the best available offensive player for the Hawks in this game, like overall. Because, you know, you could I would say that Capella is a better player than Herter overall, but not really on offense. Um, and then other guys available, you know, Wright, TLC, Reddish, I think Herter is the best offensive player they had in this game. So it's a little bit strange to have your best perimeter player, your best offensive player overall, not start. Um, it, would, it would have been a little bit odd anyway, but I do think that it looked it looked and felt weirder because Trey wasn't playing. You know, the the concept of having balance on the first and second units does make some sense if you are, uh, I would say, forced to start Gallinari because they kind of are right now without Collins. They don't have, really a, have a backup there. And they usually run their second unit offense kind of through Gallo. So if you're starting Gallinari and you kind of have to, it does make some theoretical sense to do that. But then also without Trey, you turn around and you're starting a lineup that has DeLon Wright, TLC, and Cam Reddish on it. And that's not, that's not the greatest offensive trio in the world. So anyway, long story short, I am not someone who's going to belabor the point on starting lineups. You know, people were uh, throughout the season this year already have been mad that Cam hasn't started or whatever's going to happen. Um, I am more concerned with closing lineups and who plays minutes. But one of the concerns in this game with not starting Herter 
again, again particularly right now, is that um, the Hawks are limited in terms of bodies, and they needed Herter to play a lot of minutes in this game because, again, he was their best player on the wing. Um, and he, he's, he managed to play a lot. He played 33 minutes in this game. But if you start him, you can play more than that. So that's kind of uh, one of those questionable things. But alas, I'm not going to belabor the point too, too much. At any rate, um, he was good at the outset at seven points in three and a half minutes to push the lead up to nine in the early going. The Hawks' offense was good in the first quarter. It slowed down from there, to be fair, but they actually had no turnovers, four offensive rebounds, and they took 11 threes in the first quarter, so it's a really good process. They shot the ball pretty badly the entire night, honestly, but they had some good peripheral stuff offensively. They rebounded well in the first quarter as well, take that lead. Um, the, the one swoon of the night offensively, or really the entire overall game, was early in the second quarter. So the Hawks only played eight guys in this game. Um, essentially, they played eight of the nine guys who are normally in their, you know, on their full roster. Skylar Mays was the only guy who did not play. You know, I said this all the time, but I'd be, I would, I'd be giving Lou Williams minutes to Skylar Mays if it's me. But they're not going to do that just yet. That's the only qualm. I'll kind of leave that there for now. But they played only eight guys, so pretty short rotation in this game. Um, so that kind of allowed you to play a lot of the guys a lot of minutes. But that's kind of the only. Uh, Decision that they really had to make. Um, they, they had to go small when Gallinari was off the court because they don't really have him back at power forward, etc. Um, but the Kings had a 12-0 run at the outset of the second quarter. The offense just kind of f- completely fell apart with Lou on the floor. They missed their first nine shots in the early portion of the second quarter. It's pretty, um, I would say, pretty big settling um, instances with some bad contested jump shots. The Hawks had four turnovers as well in about five minutes after not having a single turnover in the first quarter. They didn't score a point for six minutes. And that's uh, usually going to kind of sink you, but given everything else in this game, it didn't, it didn't actually kill them. But they, they didn't have a field goal for almost seven minutes. Um, Lou gave them basically nothing in that stretch. And he, was, he wasn't alone, to be fair. But uh, again, I guess a better team that might have sunk them, but the Kings couldn't take full advantage. They, they, did, they, they did take the lead. So the Kings did lead for a portion of the second quarter. Um, and the Hawks did rebound from there. Um, there was some pretty good stabilization once Herter came back in the game with Wright. Uh, TLC had a, had a nice first half as well. He had 10 points in about a quarter and a half. There was a huge block by Clickapella on Marvin Bagley, but there was a nice uh, drive from Cam Reddish, I thought, at one point for a nice finish. And then at the end, in the final minute, Wright had an awesome spin move for a layup, and then Capella had a huge block again. So he had two blocks in like the first, like the last three minutes of the uh, first half, I should say. Um, a brutal offensive quarter for the Hawks in the first, on the second quarter, but they actually had 21 points in six minutes to close the quarter. So it kind of saved that in a lot of ways. They were good in the first half. On the whole, DeLon had 11 points. Capella was really good in the first half. They held the Kings to about a 90 offensive rating. That was a huge part. And again, they were kind of bailed out by Sacramento's offense. We'll get more to the defense in a second, but that was uh, it was nice to see the Hawks playing better defense on the whole in this game. All right, before we get to the second half and some overall observations, some player breakdown stuff, a look ahead to the weekend, and much more, a word from our friends at Shopify. It's the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big businesses so that upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Believe me, this podcast started out at a pretty low level. Now it's at a much higher level, and we're not going to stop there because success is a million milestones on a forever-involving path. Like mine, Shopify powers over 1.7 businesses from first scale to full scale. 
reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and much more. Gain insights as you grow with detailed reporting of your conversion rates, profit margins, and beyond. It's more than a store. Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Connect with your customers, drive sales, manage your day-to-day, and Shopify also instantly lets you accept all major payment methods. Shopify has thousands of integrations with third-party apps from on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots to and beyond. Supercharge your knowledge, your sales, and your success, and do it all in one place. Go to shopify.com slash lockedonmba, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash lockedonmba right now. That's shopify.com slash lockedonmba. All right, the Hawks go into halftime up by nine. That was our largest lead of the night. So they're in a pretty good spot, clearly there. But the early portion of the, set, of the third quarter, I should say, did not go very well. A 10-2 to run by the Kings in which the Hawks had two turnovers, a couple of missed shots near the rim. Kent took a very, very, very bad step back three in the middle of that run as well. Um, they bounced back after a timeout, TLC hitting a big three. Gallinari found it a little bit offensively, which is good to see, um, taking up lots of usage with his, uh, I would say, with some reasonable efficiency in that stretch. There was actually a pretty bad, uh, probably the only moment of the night where DeLon Wright really killed them was on a, on a missed layup in transition. That was one that you want to definitely circle. It was a bad miss. He did have an offensive rebound right after that, kind of made it up for that uh, on some level, but that was a bad, a bad moment for DeLon. Um, in general, though, the third quarter was marked by pretty bad basketball by all parties. <laughs> the Hawks led um, by five on point, ended up settling up to go up by three at the end of the period. The Kings made a bunch of shots when compared to the rest of the game. They had 30 points. That was their best offensive quarter of the, of the entire night, but it, was, it wasn't like an onslaught. It was kind of just like a sloggy kind of quarter overall in my mind. But the Kings tied it at one point late in the third, and the Herder had five points in the last 90 seconds to give the Hawks the lead. They did lose that quarter. That was, um, you know, one of their worst, probably maybe the worst of the game. I mean, I mean obviously it wasn't a scoreboard, but even just overall performance-wise, I think the first part of the second quarter was worse, but the third quarter on the whole was probably the worst of the night for Atlanta. Um, in the fourth, though, Kong had an awesome block early in the period. To, it actually ended up being a jump ball, but that was a great play by him, and then he, he actually stole the ball from Damian Jones on a drive, um, showing his um, upside, upside defensively. It was kind of a rough night for Okongwu offensively, I thought, but defensively he still made a bunch of plays and is a monster on that end of the floor. Um, Herter was really hot still. He had 18 and 10 rebounds with nine minutes to go. Um, also, his season had rebounds, and also the first time that he's had double digits and rebounds all year, which is uh, good to see. He was you know, aggressive in the entire night. Um, the Kings kind of gave the Hawks an opening to kind of end the game, I thought, like with eight minutes to go or so. Sacramento went scoreless on five straight possessions, but the Hawks didn't take full advantage because the offense was not really going at that point in time. They are still up by eight, though, with eight minutes to go. They were in a good spot. They had to give Herter a break, though. I was kind of talking about it in real time on Twitter, but they brought Herter back in. Again, it's one of the things about not starting him in this game is that he came in with like seven minutes to go in the third quarter, and like it was tempting, I'm sure, to just play him the entire rest of the game, but... They couldn't really ask him to do that. So they had to take him out, and I kind of said, look, look, it's got to be now because they have to bring him back in to close this game. They did. Um, he sat for about two minutes. It didn't kill them in that stretch, but that was uh, something that definitely stuck with me. That as, You know, you can't, you can't play him as much as you want to because you didn't start him. Um, Lou played probably a little bit too long in my mind as well, but then he came out of the game when, when Herder came back in and never returned. He was kind of the odd man out of the rotation. They played eight guys, but he was definitely eight of eight in terms of the way they actually deployed the rotation. Um, there was a nice two-man game by Wright Nakongwu for a bucket with about six minutes to go. The Hawks were pretty fortunate sometimes in the fourth quarter. Harrison Barnes missed a, a point-blank lob layup. It probably could have been a dunk even. It was just a weird miss by him. They missed some open shots along the way. 
there was a sequence in the middle where they allowed an offensive run to Tyrese Halliburton that led to a three-point play, and then Capella missed two free throws in a row, which is not what you want to see, and then Fox had a jump shot to go from up eight to up three in a heartbeat, which is not what you want. Um, from there, we'll give, kind of give you a play-by-play look at the end of this game. So they kind of oddly went back to a Kongwu with about four minutes to go. Um, I think Capella might have been gassed because he Capella was the better player in this game overall, and they were kind of having some success with him. But they went to Kongwu briefly. It didn't kill them, actually. He played pretty well in that, in that stretch run. But Herter was on the floor. Um, had a nice finish to go up by five through contact. Um, they give up a dunk, though. And then Cam misses a tough pull-up. De'Aaron Fox scores. And it's a one-point game again. So that's as close as it got until 1.15 to go, which we'll come back to. But um, Herter had a great pass to Kongwu for a nice seal and finish. Um, Fox, though, was giving them all kinds of trouble. He scored. And then Reddish had a nice look. It was probably the second-best pass of the game, but it was a good look again to Okongwu for a layup. And then Fox finally missed. The Hawks looked like the Hawks were going to be up by three with the ball and 90 seconds to go. But Alvin Gentry, rightly so, uh, challenged and won the challenge. The ball was off Gallinari. And Gallinari probably could have grabbed the ball, which would have been better. But um, unfortunately for the Hawks, that went in Sacramento's direction and correctly so. And then out of that stoppage, Halliburton hits a three to tie the game with 117 left. And Reddish kind of blew the switch on that one. If you watch that play over again, he just kind of hesitated and went the wrong way for one step, and that kind of gave all the room that he needed to get that three off. So the Hawks went from, again, up eight or so with like four minutes left to being tied with about a minute and a half left, and that's uh, not what you want. Probably the biggest shot of the game, though, was coming after that. Uh, DeLon Wright drives, draws attention, kicks out Cam Reddish for a good look at an open three catch and shoot, and he, he buries it. It's a good shot for Cam all year long. He's been making that shot, and he made it in that spot. Um, again, that, they didn't win the game for the Hawks. That was a big shot, though. They had to have it. Um, after a timeout, though, they kind of gave it right back. Um, Fox blew by Reddish, like, pretty badly in, uh, in kind of the open floor. Capella fouls him, three-point play, and it's tied again with about a minute to go. So it was tight at that point in time. The Herder had a great drive, though, through contact and scored to give the Hawks the lead. And then a huge defensive play with DeLon Wright kind of stonewalling the Aaron Fox. Um, Fox wanted a foul, didn't get it. Um, it was tough to tell on the broadcast in real time, but I will say this, DeLon Wright, in talking to the media after the game, pretty much said on the record that he fouled uh, Fox and was not called. So you could tell by Fox's reaction that he was pretty convinced it was a foul. Uh, Wright, I believe, used the words, got away with one on that one, and it looks like he did because you know he would know if he, if he fouled him. So that's a break for the Hawks, even on the road. That's one the Hawks don't always get in their favor, and that uh, clearly was an advantage for Atlanta, ended up being a huge play because then the Kings had to foul. They foul Herter, he makes both, and they're up by four with 20 seconds to go. And honestly, from there, the only shot the Kings really had was Buddy Heel got a pretty decent look from three um, out of a timeout. They kind of blew the assignment defensively, the Hawks did, to, to allow their best shooter and open three, but he airballed it, which is strange. And then uh, that was kind of it from there. So um, it got dicey for sure. Anytime you're in a tie game with a minute to go, it can go either way, but the Hawks made a bunch of plays. Kevin Herter made a bunch of plays. DeLon Wright made a bunch of plays. Cam had a great pass and also a great three in the final three minutes. So it was a balanced effort. Kongwu had two nice finishes along the way as well in that stretch run. So um, good stuff from the Hawks overall to close that game out, and they get the win on the road. Um, takeaways from this contest. Um, offensively, it was not pretty by any means, but I will say this. Taking a step back, they had a 110 offensive rating in this game. And that is not great. That's below their normal average. But uh, if I tell you that Trey Young is going to miss a game, a full game, and then I say, do you take a 110 offensive rating? The answer for me is absolutely yes. 
The Hawks' offensive rating without Trey Young for multiple seasons now is well below that. So if you could have guaranteed me a once-in offensive rating, I would have taken it and absolutely run with it. So through that lens, you know, without Trey, that's a good good enough for sure offensively. It wasn't dominant, but it was pretty decent. Um, they just couldn't make shots from the perimeter in this game. They were 17 of 51 on shots away from the rim, according to Cleaning the Glass. Um, that includes 8 of 30 on threes, but also 9 of 21 on shots that were non-paint twos. So, again, 33% on all shots that were not at the rim is really, really tough to overcome. But the Hawks did a good job on the glass. 10 off the rebounds. They had 10, 10, 10 turnovers is not, like, incredible for the Hawks. But that's still below their average, and that's still a above-average mark for a regular team. The Hawks are one of the better teams in the league protecting the ball. They still, I think they average 12, 12 and a half turnovers a game, so that's good as well. So nothing great offensively, as you might expect without Trey, but they made enough plays and made enough shots and got to the line enough to uh, make it all work. Defensively, they allowed a 104 offensive rating to the Kings, which is uh, really, really good. That's an excellent number. Um, the Kings definitely helped them some. Um other than Fox and Halliburton, there was not a lot going on with the Kings' offense. Um, Harrison Barnes was bad in this game. I think he's uh, you know he's normally really good, but not not tonight. Um, their bench was non-existent for the most part. Davion Mitchell, the rookie, was uh, overmatched and quite bad. Um, Buddy Heal was not a factor for the most part. So uh, they got beat up a little bit by, by Fox and Halliburton, but I think the defense was really good overall. Um, Sacramento did shoot well from three, 41%, but they were really bad from two and had 15 assists in the entire game. They took 38 mid-rangers, which is uh, more than you would want if you were a good offense, and the Hawks forced those shots. So uh, it's tough to kind of draw the line on where the Hawks were defensively, but I will say this unequivocally, they were better defensively in this game than they have been for a while. This is not me saying the Hawks are better without Trey Young overall because they're absolutely not. But defensively, they probably are. Um, especially when you're, if you're going to play DeLon Wright 40 minutes, um, defensively you're going to be better than when you play Trey. Now the offense is much worse, obviously, and they're much worse overall. But the personnel defensively in this game, other than Lou and Gallinari, of course, which you can't be, you can't just overlook those guys. But you know everybody else is at least solid enough. Um, that probably helps a little bit, but the Hawks did just communicate better. Capella was good. Wright was good. TLC did his job. I thought Cam was uh, okay. Her, her uh, actually got praise from Prunty after the game for his defense as well as his offense. So a good effort offensively, um, a good effort offensively overall, a good effort defensively overall, and a nice sort of complete win against a Kings team that is definitely healthier than the Hawks are. They're not great, but uh, it's still a road win. I mean, nothing else. You can add all that context that you want, and I'm, b- I'm big on context, but Anytime you win a road game in the NBA, um, it's nice. And you won when, without Trey Young, it's even nicer. So they still won there. And we'll get into individual stuff in a second, some player observations in this game. But first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is betonline.ag. BetOnline, I'd like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. BetOnline.ag remains the number one spot for all the sports wagering action for 2022. And with the new year, we have new updated desktop and mobile websites to sign up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% extra cash on your first deposit if you use the promo code Locked On to get started. With football, basketball, hockey, boxing, UFC, golf, tennis, auto racing, and much, much more, do not wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available at BetOnline.ag for 2022. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all of your favorite sports action. And again, 50% welcome bonus with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to get started. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll dive into the rotation stuff now. And the Hawks only play eight guys. In this game, that's not very many. That's as low as they're probably ever going to go, barring an emergency situation. Um, And number eight of eight was Lou Williams in terms of minutes, in terms of effectiveness, all the way around. So 
I would have played Skylar Maze, as I've said multiple times, so I'm not going to go into that again. But Lou, the numbers are not good, once again. Um, 107 from the floor, 104 from three. Three points, two assists, three rebounds. Um, coming into the night, Lou Williams had a 47 point something percent true shooting. Uh, that is ghastly. If you're not familiar with true shooting, um, you know even 50% is quite bad, um, and 47% is ghastly. Um, it's career worst stuff for Lou overall. Um, it's possible, if not likely, that he is just kind of done at this point. But they're still doing this, and defensively, it's really bad too. So overall, he was uh, clearly the worst player on the team that played in this game. I would have played Maze, and we'll leave that there. Uh, from there, a Kongwu kind of a mixed bag. I think defensively, he was his usual good self. Had two blocks. Had a steal, seven rebounds, 22 minutes. Played well. Offensively kind of uneven. He had some nice moments along the way. A couple of nice, uh, I would say, key finishes in the final five minutes um, at the rim. They were pretty easy looks for him, but still he gathered them, finished them, etc. Had two assists as well. Um, but kind of a rough one offensively for me. If you watch the tape back on Okongwu, especially in the first you know, two and a half, three quarters, he was not particularly um, adept offensively. He'll learn. I'm not worried about that at all. I think he'll have plenty of good nights. Um, but just not his best work offensively. But uh, fortunately, uh, Capella had it going a little bit. And Kong, again, was not terrible. His defense is enough to kind of give him value regardless. Um, the other guy off the bench that played a lot was Kevin Herter, who I talked about earlier. Um, he should have started in my mind. I think that, in general, the plan might be long-term, that they kind of go away from Cam as the second unit um, wing guy to maybe Herter as a rotational change. It would not be the worst thing in the world for me. Um, again, I, I care more about who plays more minutes than I do about who starts. I truly do. Um, I think the starting thing tonight, as I went on a sort of a rant earlier, is just that they kind of limited her minutes artificially, which is not what I would have done. But with Trey back, um, there's definitely an argument to be made that you might want to put her on second unit just because um, he'll still play with the starter some, for sure, and maybe you start staggering rotation a little bit and you can get away with that otherwise. But he uh, played great in this game, which is also kind of what we'll focus on now. But... 25 points to lead all scorers for the Hawks. 11 rebounds, only short of Capella. Five assists, five assists as well. Love the team. He was plus 14 in 33 minutes. So, uh, yeah, I would have liked to have him play more, honestly. But other than that, uh, a lot to be excited about. And honestly, a big thing for this is that usually when Herder has big games, short of like his explosion against Seth Curry in the, in the playoffs, it's usually from three. But in this game... He was 9 of 13 on twos. He was very aggressive getting to the rim, finishing through contact, um, not just pulling up either. Like He was had some real like actual layups, like being physical, being aggressive. That's great to see. He was only 1 of 5 on threes and still had a big game. So that's good to see from, from Herter overall. That's a, like, bizarrely, actually, missed, three free, throw, missed three, three free throws, 4 of 7 from the line. So uh, he could have been even better. But overall, he was good defensively. Um, he has been, as I talked about last night on the podcast, uh, not great defensively from him this year, in my mind. But I think this uh, in this game, he was much better and was a part of the, of the success overall. So uh, I would think he was their best player overall in this game. I mean, you could argue for Capella, potentially, because of the impact that he made defensively. But I think Herter was probably taking the, uh, taking the car keys in this one as the best guy and leading the way in the win. Um, to the starters. Uh, a lot to like here. Um, some uneven stuff as well, but mostly positive. Um, we'll go to Gallinari first. 27 minutes for Gallo, about 16 points on 12 shooting possessions. And this is one of those nights where Gallo can return value. Uh, defensively, it's never great, but if he has these nights where he gets to the line seven times, makes, makes all seven, shoots four of nine from the floor, um, you know, true shooting-wise, it was like in the 60% range in this game. You'll take that all day. Um, offensively, you, he still does have value when he has, you know, you, even there was one, I think I might have tweeted about it at one point, he had this ISO possession in the post where he had two pump fakes, 
drew a foul. It was like a it was a vintage Gallo efficiency possession, and he brings value offensively when he's making shots. Um, and then on defense, they kind of hit him a little bit. He didn't kill them. He wasn't good. But this is a matchup that you know, unless you're unless you're having him guard you know on the perimeter exclusively, he's not gonna get you killed like you could play him against Marvin Bagley, and that was enough. When they stopped playing Bagley, they kind of had to start hiding Gallinari more and not playing him. That makes sense as well. So he's still like kind of a liability on that on the floor, but it's one of those things where he gave them enough to help them in this game. Um, elsewhere, TLC, 36 minutes, 14 points, 4 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal for TLC, 4 nine from the floor, 3 of 7 from 3. That's the line 5 times. I'll just say this plainly. Uh, no one on the Hawks <laughs> thinks that TLC is better than Kevin Herter. There was a lot of replies when I tweeted out the starting lineup and all that stuff is that people think that, like, that means that they think that TLC is better than Herter. No one thinks that. Um, I think everyone would kind of admit that if you ask them. Um, so start somebody starting over other guys does not mean they're starting in terms of because they're better. It's a strategic thing. Um, but I will say this. I think TLC is kind of soundly better than people think that he is. Uh, a lot of times I would just get people that think he's just terrible, and that's just not the case. Like, he's not inspiring. He's not a great player, but he's a, like, you know, league average wing. Like, he's a fourth, fifth wing on, on, a, on a decent team. And, um, yeah, do you want to play him 36 minutes? No, but if you look at who the Hawks are missing on a night like tonight when they don't they don't have Trey, they don't have Bogdanovich, they don't have Hunter, um, even Solomon Hill, like, those guys are all out. It's not crazy to play... TLC a lot of minutes. Like, would I have played him? Would I, in a perfect world, do you want to play, play him 32 and Herter 38? Sure. But no issue at all with him playing a bunch. And honestly, he was good in this game. He made he was good at attacking from three. He played decent defense. Um, a nice overall night for TLC. Uh, from there, Cam Reddish. Um, I think offensively, he was not particularly good. Uh, he was he made some nice plays late. I will say that. I sort of I tried to highlight those in the earlier section where he had those two really nice passes. Um which were kind of uh, standing out to me, and a couple of nice decisive drives to the rim. Um, overall, though, he was inefficient, took some bad shots. It was probably a little bit too much hero ball from Cam in this one. It wasn't as bad as it's been in the past, so I want to say that. Like, he still made improvements, and, you know, 18 points, I believe, was on 22 possessions, so that's not going to get you killed too much, but uh, I thought he had a couple of ones where you want to reel that in a little bit, but again, on a night without Trey, you got to have usage somewhere, so uh, to be charitable, I think Cam was not as bad as maybe some of that stuff looked, but he was frustrating me for large portions of this night. I think defensively, though, he was a little bit better. He had a couple of high-profile misses against De'Aaron Fox in the fourth quarter, but I think, he, especially in the first half, he was better than he's been recently. And then uh, to round things out from there, uh, Click Capella was good. 11 points, 14 rebounds, had two blocks, a steal, two assists. Um, you know, had a couple of misses around the rim and, two, and three, three missed free throws. So it wasn't like he was totally dominant, but I think defensively he was quite solid in this game. He won the matchups against the Kings guys. Rebounded the ball well, and it was kind of just like a B-plus game for Capella. He didn't play a ton, which is a little bit interesting to me. I'm not sure if it's because they wanted to ride a Kongwu or if he was gassed or whatever, but that was an interesting split, but I think that when he was, when he was out there, he played well. And then finally, DeLon Wright, uh, 40 minutes to lead the team, 15 points, 4 assists, 4 rebounds, 2 steals, plus 9. Uh, I think Wright was awesome. Uh, I, I think people already know this, but I, I do enjoy the DeLon Wright experience. I think he does a lot of little things that people don't always pay attention to or value that I really notice. 
Um, defensively, he was really good in this game. Um, in addition to the uh, to the head, to the headline play at the end, where he you know cops to fouling Fox and was uncalled, um, he was aggressive in the first half, setting the tone offensively. Uh, he wasn't quite as much later on, but he was good facilitating. Um, you definitely always see that he's not like the biggest you know on ball creator in the world at point guard, and it does give you some issues. And you want to play him with somebody that can help him with that responsibility. But he does so many things well. Um, so yeah, I thought he was really good in this game, kind of an unsung hero in some respects. Um, clearly Herter would be above him on pecking order of credit in this game. But I think that beyond that, I think Wright might've been the next best guy, um, Capella maybe in terms of overall impact, but Wright was really good. So good to see that from him in a spot where he wasn't probably supposed to play 40 minutes because of Trey. But when Trey goes out, they used him a ton and it worked. So moving forward, I'd like to see a little bit more of Mays instead of Lou, as I said before, but um, DeLon Wright is earning, I think, more playing time, whether it be with Trey, behind Trey. Um, there is a world, in my mind, honestly, where they could just excise Lou and not even play Maze if they don't want to. Because, I mean, if nothing else in this game, they showed a willingness, albeit forced probably, to, you know, there were, there were at least, what, 28, 29 minutes of uh, DeLon Wright at point guard in this game? Which, like, actual point guard. Like, there's been this confusion... Um, with Hawks fans that like think he's been playing point guard all year. Anytime Lou is playing with DeLon, Lou is a point guard. Just keep that in mind. That's just the way it is. Um, but in this game, there was a lot of DeLon without Lou, and those minutes went great. I mean, it's sort of uh, outlined in the plus minuses, but you know, basically when DeLon was playing and Lou um, was not, it was successful. So at any rate, a positive night overall. So the Hawks have six guys in double figures. It was a balanced effort. Herter was a standout. He should get a lot of the headlines, but really a nice win, a team win, and uh, we'll go from here. So before we get out of here, oh, by the way, uh, this is a fun stat that I'm, I forgot to mention earlier on Kevin Herter, but according to Hawks PR, Herter's the only guy in the NBA this year to have 20 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists off the bench. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true because it, just, it seems a little bit attainable, but that's a heck of an honor in some ways. Obviously, he should have started in this game in my mind, but hey, that's a nice little uh, fun fact at the end of the podcast. Okay, last thing. Um, Sam Amick of The Athletic reported today on Wednesday that the Hawks are looking to make something of a two-for-one trade for, quote, an impact player, end quote. And he reported that the most likely combination to do that would be Cam Reddish and Danilo Gallinari. Um, number one, this is not a surprise at all. This has been talked about a lot. I've tweeted about it a lot. Um, this is an explicit report, which is why I'm talking about it now, because Sam is a credible reporter who's plugged in a lot of, in a lot of places, including Atlanta. So I'm not discounting it, but in terms of like reading between the lines, like I've talked about this before, um, Cam plus Gallo is like the pretty clearly the most obvious package for anybody making real money in the NBA right now for the Hawks. It's not a star. Obviously, if it's a star, it's more than just Cam and Gallo. And I will say this, um, if there are rumors, we'll cover them, but I'm not going to go into it like crazy deep right now. But um, I think that the Hawks are going to have to give up more than just Cam and Gallo if you want to actually get what I would describe as an impact player. Um, they could get somebody reasonable for those guys. But I think because Gallo is negative salary, people don't kind of just gloss over that. Gallo, at his current number, is uh, not a positive contract. Um, he's a helpful player, not a positive contract. Regardless, um, we'll get into that if we need to. But that was, uh, that was out there, so that chatter's not going away. Um, I said it before, I know people don't like it. I'm not saying that you have to like it, but the reality is the Hawks have been openly listening on Cam for more than a year, and that's not changed at this point in time. I know Hawk, there's definitely Hawks fans that just wouldn't trade Cam for anything, and 
I get it. He's a fun player. He's a talented player. He's still really young and tantalizing. But again, in reality, he is available. And we'll see if that means they're going to trade him. It doesn't mean they, doesn't mean they have to. But uh, that's uh, we're not quite to, tra- to, to full-blown trade buzz season. We've got about you know two or three weeks before that actually arrives in full. But keep that, keep that in mind. That was reported today. So that was uh, out there for discussion. And then lastly... The Hawks go to Los Angeles from here. Well, they'll be met um, by Bogdanovich and Collins and Johnson. That's good to see. But the schedule is the Lakers um, on Friday night, a late game at formerly Staples Center uh, in Los Angeles. It's actually an ESPN game, so that'll be a national telecast, 10 p.m. start on Friday, primetime. That'll be a lot of fun. A lot of extra attention probably on the Hawks for that one because the Lakers are the uh, you know flagship team of the league in some respects. And... ESPN game, LeBron, etc. I would imagine Trey will do anything he can to play in that game. Um, so we'll, that'll be a fun one to talk about when, when we get there. And then from there, they stay in Los Angeles on Friday night and Saturday night, and then they play the Clippers on Sunday afternoon. And right now, Paul George is out. So that, that's a game in which the Clippers, uh, you know, this is also true of the Lakers. The Lakers at least have LeBron. The Clippers, in their current form, are not particularly inspiring. Not that the Hawks can't win either one of these games, but if you're trying to circle one that is uh, more winnable, I would say it's the Clippers game. But even the Lakers right now, without AD in a way that they are uh, kind of scuffling along as a kind of mediocre product right now, both winnable games for the Hawks in Los Angeles, and we'll uh, come back and talk about all of that stuff over the weekend. All right, that'll be it for today on the show. It's now you know 2 something a.m. again on Thursday morning, so uh, forgive me if I'm rambling too much on this podcast, but thank you for listening to the show. As always, please leave five-star ratings and reviews, and please, please, please subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, whether that be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey app, wherever you find podcasts, we should be there. Check us out. All those places. Also follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnHawks. Follow me on Twitter if you'd like to, at BT Roland, and we'll see you after the game on Friday.